but uh, what I have to say probably won't be possible to say in 15 minutes just to let you know. (laughs) Praise the Lord, everybody. It's always an honor to be here, a privilege, and and, I always feel like I'm among friends. And in fact, I ran into some folks the other day in Crockett. They want to know, what in the world are you doing here? <laughs> well, I was just passing through. Got to see Brother and Sister Wells. And uh, a while back, I was preaching in Nacogdoches. Brother Crosswhite was out of town and had me come and fill in. And on one of the services, there was a young man there. And uh, I think you might know him. And I said, Jace, it's so good you came over here to hear me preach. <laughs> And you know why I'm laughing. Okay. But it's good to be here tonight. Good to see everybody. I'm sorry for uh, my heart goes out to Brother Motes. We pray for him and for his wife. And I know you do too. He contacted me today and wanted to know if I could be here tonight. And so our heart does go out to him. And I pray for him. And I know you do. And just continue and believe the Lord. Because it's not not an easy thing that he's going through. But we do give honor to Brother Motes, your pastor. Sister Moe, your pastor's wife. Praise the Lord. Could I possibly get a bottle of water? My voice seems to suddenly to about to crack on me here. Maybe that's just because I'm all cracked up anyway. But it's good to be here. It really is. And uh, again, I always enjoy coming. My wife, she is just a few thousand miles away, maybe. Well, at least two probably. But uh, she's in North Pole. Not the North Pole, but North Pole, Alaska. We have a new grandson, and uh, he came a little earlier and surprised us. So she went on early, and I plan to join them next week. He is still in the hospital, but he's doing good and uh, gaining weight, learning how to eat. He, he came several weeks early, but thank the Lord everything else seems to be okay. And probably will be home, the Lord willing, by the time I get there next week. So... Thank the Lord for that. So that's, I hope you will understand, my wife couldn't quite make it in time for the service. (laughs) Praise the Lord. Well, let's go straight into the word of the Lord tonight. I have something that I want to preach or teach. You can call it what you want, just as long as you listen and pay attention. Somebody said, was that preaching or teaching? Does it really matter? As long as it's from the word of the Lord. And I'm reading from the book of Hebrews, chapter number 3. Readings is 12 through 14. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. If you have it, say amen. Amen. Verse number 12, take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another. Exhort is to encourage one another daily while it is called today. That's what we're doing here tonight. We're encouraging one another. Amen. Amen. Exhorting one another daily while it is called today. Lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. Can we say thank the Lord for his word tonight? Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your word. Thank you for your people. Lord, we have gathered here in the name of Jesus. We're asking, Lord, for your anointing touch, Lord, as we open the word of life. Lord God, it's not to glorify flesh, not, Lord God, for the will of man, but let your will be done and speak to our hearts. Tonight we pray in the name of Jesus. We give you the honor and the glory, and you may be seated in Jesus' name.
I'm going to talk to you tonight for a few minutes. I have an introduction that will lead into what I want to get to from the Word of the Lord. But I've, I'm not so smart. Thank you for not saying amen. But I do know how to read, okay? I want to talk to you about a few things I've read lately to lead into what we really want to get to from the Word of the Lord. I was reading recently about the theory of the evolution of humans. And notice it is a theory. And from the Smithsonian National Museum of Natural History, in an article called, What Does It Mean to Be Human? I read, Human evolution is the lengthy process of change by which people originated from ape-like ancestors. Interesting. Aren't you thankful for where your tax dollars go to help support the Smithsonian National Museum of Natural History? Scientific evidence, now I'm quoting them, I would like to see the evidence, but scientific evidence shows that the physical and behavioral traits shared by all people originated from ape-like ancestors and evolved over a period of approximately, are you ready, six million years. Now one of the things about the scientific process, it has to be observable. I'd like to know who observed that. In an interview, David Berlinski, who is a secular Jew, so he's a Jew by birth, but he does not practice the Jewish religion, but a very highly educated gentleman. I heard him in an interview, and he is not a proponent of the theory of evolution. He believes otherwise, even though he is not a devoutly religious person uh, from the Jewish perspective. But in this interview, he said it this way, Darwinianism, or Darwin's theory, uh, those that hold to his theory of the evolution of human species, Darwinianism provides a mythological framework for a scientific theory. It provides an account of human origins and provides an account of bi uh, biological origins and provides an account of change. And that account at every point is a substitute for a biblical account. The Bible says, being wise, they became fools. Amen. But I must say tonight, and please don't be shocked and don't, Shut me off. I believe in evolution. I believe in evolution. Don't throw anything at me just yet. But I believe in it. And another thing I read recently is concerning what is known as the second law. I told you I'm not that smart, but I did learn to read. Thank the Lord for teachers. The second law of thermodynamics states that as energy is transferred or transformed, more and more of it is wasted. So in the process, you know, it's just, it, it loses efficiency. The second law also states that there is a natural tendency in any isolated system to degenerate into a more disordered state. For example, why is it that when you leave an ice cube at room temperature, it begins to melt? Why do we get older and never younger? Yeah, some of us can say amen or oh me. And why is it whenever rooms are clean, they become messy again? <laughs> and mom said amen. Certain things happen in one direction and not the other. 
This is called the arrow of time. And it encompasses every area of science, a system, and here's the clincher, a system will become more disordered as time increases. Amen. Everybody with me, say amen. Amen. So when I said I believe in evolution, I believe in changes that take place over a period of time. But I do not believe in Darwin's theory of evolution, obviously, that we, somebody look at somebody and say, I ain't a monkey, okay? (laughs) And I didn't even come from one. We believe the biblical account. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And God formed man of the dust of the ground. Amen. And he became breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. So what I believe in when I say I believe in evolution is not an evolution as Darwin imagined it from disorder to order. But I believe in evolution that goes the other way around. From order to disorder. That's the way things happen in the natural state of events. And that is what we see all around us every day. Amen. Don't believe it? Just go wash your car. It'll get dirty again. There is what is known as the theory. Uh, Here's another theory that I came across when I was teaching a class at TBC and Glad you've got some TBC students here. Praise the Lord. And uh, I was teaching a class on world religions, and I came across the writings of a gentleman named Winfred Cordwin and his book, Neighboring Faiths. And in that, he introduced the concept. He was not espousing the concept. He did not believe in it. But he was dealing with the whole idea of religion and the fact that some people believe religion and God are just man-made things. Things And so uh, he talked about what some call the, the theoretical evolution of religion. And very briefly, I may have mentioned this to you in a past lesson, I don't recall. But very briefly, he says, in the beginning, uh, there was what people call mana. People that study this call it mana, M-A-N-A, mana. That was just an awareness that there's something out there. There's a spirit. There's something out there. And so this was uh, a general awareness of a spiritual force in the world. And so people that espouse this theory feel like that in the beginning, you know, uh, whatever, people started having this idea that there's something out there. And then evolution started taking place. And eventually it led to what is known as animism. Animism is a belief in many forces. For example, uh, they they are pictured as personal beings and they have distinct identities and even names. Uh, Some of the Native American beliefs would have been animistic. Amen. You know, believing in a a god in the mountain or or some animal having special powers or, you know, some parts of the world there may be the river god or or the, the mountain god. And this would be a form of animism, that there are spiritual forces in the world. And then we come to what is known as polytheism. And that is, of course, a belief in more than one God. In many gods, possibly many, but at least more than one God that are even superior to just a spirit, but they are elevated to the place of God. So, you know, here we go. We're evolving, aren't we? We're going from, we're going from this vague sense there's something out there until now we've got up to the belief that, okay, there's gods out there. And then that leads to what is called henotheism. And that is a belief in more than one God, but choosing to worship only one of them. Are we getting closer? Are we evolving? And then, of course, the apex is monotheism. Thank the Lord we finally got here. And believe that there's one God. And he portrayed this in the book that I read this information from as a triangle, starting with the very beginning mana and then getting to animism and then polytheism and then henotheism and then finally at the apex of the triangle, get to the belief there's one God. But there's a problem with that. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says in the beginning, God. 
I don't believe Adam had to wait many, many years to finally get to the understanding there's one God. Amen. God created Adam, in man in the image of God, and Adam woke up. I don't think he had to live in a cave for 200 years. Amen. I don't think he had to start out as some human ape-like creature and eventually get to a human, and neither do I believe that he had to evolve until finally get to know this God. But the Bible said God communed with him in the cool of the day. And so we turn that triangle upside down and say in the beginning was the term that uh, Mr. Cordwin introduced me to was the idea of original monotheism. Amen. How many of you believe in original monotheism? Mono, one, theism, belief in God. So put it together. We believe that that was the original belief. And what we have seen is not an evolution toward a belief in one God. We have seen an evolution in the other direction. From order to disorder. I also, as a student of languages, the Lord had helped me to be fairly proficient in languages. I can speak parts of Two or three or four languages. I'm working on English, but uh, I'll try to get that one of these days. <laughs> we've worked as missionaries, as you know, and so I've been able to learn some of the languages and places we've been. But, and so, but I'm very interested in languages. In fact, I'm listening to a podcast that is called The History of the English Language, and it's amazing all the influences in the English languages. We have influence from Latin, from French, from Viking words, from Hebrew, I mean uh, Greek, from, La- uh, I already mentioned Latin, but so many different influences that Old, old English and Germanic languages. There's so many influences in our language today. But in this podcast, Kevin Stroud, he mentioned the fact, and he was talking about the Norman conquest. The Normans were the Northmen. So they, many of them came from Scandinavia, some of the Vikings and some of the people that settled over in France and what is now France. And they were speaking these Nordic languages, but then eventually they got exposed to the, the French language and, and they, these were all evolving, these languages were. And so the Normans came into England what is now England, they came in as French-speaking people, even though their ancestry was from Scandinavia. But they came into the English landscape where there were Anglo-Saxons speaking old form, an old form of English. And so when they came in, their language had a major impact upon the language that was spoken in England at the time. So let me quote Mr. Stroud for just a moment. He says, the Norman conquest was just one event that changed the English language, but all languages are continually or constantly evolving and changing. How many of you know that's true? How many of you, there's words you can't say today you used to say when you were a kid, right? What's happening? Language is changing. We're getting new words all the time, and words change meaning, or people change the meanings of the word. And so he says they're always evolving and changing. It's just that the changes are typically more gradual and subtle. Not the sudden dramatic change marked by the Norman conquest of English. Now, this is not a history lesson. It's not a science lesson tonight. This is my introduction, okay? Praise the Lord. But we recognize that is true. Languages are constantly evolving. Linguists or people that study languages employ a general rule to mark, I found this very interesting, to mark the natural evolution that most languages experience. That general rule is that most languages evolve over the course of a thousand years to the point that a speaker at the beginning of that period would not be able to communicate with a speaker at the end of that period even though they think they're speaking the same language because of the natural language change. Now, most of us won't have to worry about living a thousand years to see if that's true. (laughs) But you get the point. I have one more quote from him, and then I'll give you a, a personal application. Once more, he says, as a general rule, when two groups of people encounter each other and they speak different languages. So we had the Normans coming in speaking French. We had the Anglo-Saxons speaking some form of Old English. And here he said, that's what he's referring to. But he's now talking in a general sense. When they come together, there is a significant amount of borrowing between the languages. 
Over time, one language may die out, but the surviving language usually retains a large number of words from the other language, and it may even borrow some grammar from the other language. And he goes into great detail. Amen. He has, a, I'm, I don't know, I'm on number 70 or 80 or somewhere in there. He's got oh, probably almost 200 podcasts. I'm kind of working my way through, so I won't bore you with any more of that. But here is a, an illustration of that. My sister, my, I have one sister. Her name is Angela. She lives over in Lafayette, Louisiana. Now, my sister, years ago, missionary, and she went to France to learn to speak French because they were going to a French-speaking country in Africa. Later, she came back to the States. She became a teacher, and then she ended her career in the public school system as a, an assistant principal down in South Louisiana, and she was there. And while she was there... Uh, during the time, uh, this has been just some time ago, but in the last few years, there came a group of people from France. It was a cultural exchange. If you know anything about South Louisiana, you know that's a different country. Amen? Amen. <laughs> and I can say that because while my dad was from North Louisiana, which is much like East Texas, my mom was from South Louisiana. So one side of the family, it was country. The other side, it was Cajun. Hey, I can handle that. Good country cooking and good Cajun cooking. Just depends if you're north or south. But if you know anything about it, you recognize that many years ago there were French people up in, in Canada and there the, they, they were expelled. There was some, a lot of political things going on. Many of them were sent away because the British felt like they would be disloyal in a time of warfare. And anyway, many of them scattered. They ended up being deported. And some of them ended up in Louisiana. And they were called Acadians because they lived in Acadia. In French, it would be Acadie. Acadie, that was here. When they came to, some of them ended up in South Louisiana, and they, they moved along the bayous down there, and they began to spread and multiply. And so even to today, the Cajun culture, Acadie, and someone from Acadie was an Acadien. You can see how that easily changed and became anglicized from Acadien or Cajun or Cajun. All right. So they still speak a form of French in South Louisiana. Some of them do. I remember when I was little, my great-grandmother, my great-grandmother Darbone, she lived out near in South Louisiana, and we'd go to her house, and she would be sitting around with all my great-aunts and some of the elders, and they're chattering away in French, just talking French. My mother, the next generation, my, no, my, my grandmother, that was my great-grandmother, my grandmother could speak French and English. And sometimes when her sisters would come around and they'd all be over there talking away in French. My mother knew a few words. I know how to say hello, how are you, and that's just about it. Because it died out in our family. One time I asked my uncle, I said, why? Why didn't they teach it to the kids? So he said, because when they went to school, in the English-speaking school, they were made fun of for speaking French. And it kind of just died out. But my point is this. There was a cultural exchange. People came from France. They stayed in the homes of some of the people in South Louisiana. Students and teachers came for three weeks, hosted by the local people. One of the older French teachers from France said, This sounds like the French I remember my great-grandmother speaking. Because over the years, it has changed, and he can recognize it. My sister said there were some of the others that came with this gentleman. They could not communicate. They thought they were speaking French, and the, the, here's French, and here's French, but they could not hardly even communicate, and sometimes she would have to translate. What happened? Evolution. The language changed. They were away from the motherland. They were away from France, and, and eventually things changed over the years. Now, I told you all of that. We talked about the theory of evolution of the human species. We talked about the theory of the evolution of religions. And I'm talking about the evolution of languages. But you can see how things go from order to disorder. You can see how things go. And my question for you tonight, and this is my title after that long introduction. How far have we come? How far have we come? Here are some thoughts of application 
We must be careful as the church that we do not evolve so far away from truth that we're no longer recognizable as truth. Amen? I know I'm preaching to people and love the Word of God. This is to provoke thought tonight, okay? This is to cause us to think, not to make us shout, but to make us think. We must be careful that modern-day church does not evolve to the point where it is unrecognizable. To an early Christian. Amen. Are we speaking the same language as the early church? Are we living the way the early church? And I know culture has changed and I know economics have changed and I know lifestyles have changed. I'm not talking about modern conveniences and those sort of things. And, and we don't have all the details of things they did. But we do know enough to know that the word of God calls us to come out from among the world and be separate, saith the Lord. And touch not the unclean thing and I will be a father unto you and you will be my sons and daughters. So we never want to get to the point that we're getting so far away from the Christian lifestyle that somebody from back there would look at us and they think, I don't know what they're talking about. I don't know. Amen. Anybody with me tonight? We don't want to get farther away. We want to get closer to. Hallelujah. You and I know that things go from order to disorder unless... A higher power steps in and rearranges things. Unless you have to put that ice tray back in the refrigerator or the freezer. Amen. There has to be some electricity flowing to, to run that freezer to freeze that water back into ice again. You have to, or that kid that you made get in there, has to get back in there and clean that room up and put it back in order. If you just leave it alone, it will go from order to disorder. Your vehicle will run out of gas if you drive it long enough without filling it up. Right. But you have to stop. And you have to have some money or a credit card that you've got to pay for with money later. And you've got to fill it up. Why? Because that's the way things go, the arrow of time. But thank God there is a divine dimension, hallelujah, where when we have a desire to serve God, God, there's a higher power, amen, like the law of gravity that says if I drop this Bible, it's going to fall. Well, there's another law, that a force, hallelujah, that I can pick it up again. I can hold it up, hallelujah. And I'm limited because I'm human. Eventually my hand will get tired and gravity will win in the end after all. But with God, he's never weary. He never gets tired. And he can step in and make a difference when we have a desire. I don't want to go so far away from original truth that it's no longer recognizable as truth. Amen. Praise the Lord. Let me just share with you some thoughts. We must be careful that modern day church doesn't become evolved to become entertainment oriented. We're living in an entertainment crazy world. We're probably living in the most entertained society that has ever existed. Sin is not new. The desire for those things are not new. But the availability today, it's everywhere. It's in your pocket or your purse. Amen. But we need to make sure that church does not become entertainment. I don't go to church to feel like I'm in a nightclub or a rock concert. Amen. I go to church to worship God. Hallelujah. Go to church to hear the word of God. Aren't you thankful for a pastor preaching and teaching the truth? Aren't you thankful for a church that believes church ought to be church? Hallelujah. Brother David Bernard, our general superintendent, wrote in uh, the Forward magazine uh, in in an article developing a culture of diversity. I quote, he says, The Apostle Paul became all things to all people, 1 Corinthians 9, without compromising biblical truth, he accommodated to local culture and ethnic identity as much as possible to win souls. I'll, I'll go through that again. There's a mouthful there. 
All right? So he said he, without compromising biblical truth, that's the key. He accommodated to local culture and ethnic identity. We have a lot of different cultures, a lot of different ethnicities. As much as possible to win souls. Amen. We want to win souls. But we cannot change truth in order to win souls. Because if you win somebody to a falsehood, what have you accomplished? Amen. Everybody with me? Say amen. amen. I told you I couldn't do this in 15 minutes. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I want to encourage you tonight. I want to provoke your thinking. And I want to encourage you tonight. We've got to hold on like never before. Let's don't get farther away from truth. Let's get closer and closer to truth. Hallelujah. It's no time to evolve away. It's time to move in the direction of God and His Word. Now, this quote by Brother Bernard led me to think of something, another concept I, in teaching about culture at the college and also in experience as a missionary. I, there's, a, there's a couple of words or phrases that, that apply. That first one is cultural sensitivity. He talked about the fact that, you know, he, Apostle Paul accommodated the local culture as much as possible and ethnic identity to win souls. He said, to the Jews, I became as a Jew. To the Gentiles, I became as a Gentile. And to those in, under the law, as under the law. To those without the law, not without law to God. In other words, he wasn't going to join them in their sin, but he was going to try to relate to them without compromising biblical truth. Okay, cultural sensitivity. Let me give you a very basic example. And we lived in Suriname, which is a small country in South America, north of Brazil. It was a custom there. When you went to somebody's house and you stop at the door, you take your shoes off and you, you go in. I've been to birthday parties or things. There would be a lot of people in one house and it looked like a used shoe store around the door, out on the porch or out, you know, and there would be, it was just... Nobody said, take off your shoes. Everybody knew, you take off your shoes. Guess what we did when we went to people's houses? I'm an American. We don't take off our shoes. This is stupid. I ain't taking off my shoes. Do you think I did that? No, okay, I think you know me better than that, right? <laughs> we learn to take off our shoes to this day. When I get home, I take off my shoes. I've got some slipper things I wear in the house, and, and I put my shoes right by the door. I think it's a pretty sensible habit. Amen. These crazy Americans go buy expensive carpet, then come walk on it with muddy boots, you know. Or <laughs> no, I'm joking. <laughs> but you get the point. That is cultural sensitivity. And that's just a very basic example. But being sensitive to that. Now, on the other hand, there is what is known as moral relevance. Moral relevance. That is trying to accommodate but going too far. Here's another simple example. Okay, we, we're in this country now, and we've got some souls, and this is just a hypothetical example. We've got some people coming in the church now. They're baptized in Jesus' name. They're getting the Holy Ghost, and, and of course, we're having to teach them about holiness of living, and they come up and say, Pastor, again, this is hypothetical, but Pastor, uh, my parents have invited me to the annual sacrifice honoring our dead ancestors what do I do if I don't go they're going to be very upset they may even kick me out of the family what would you tell them oh go ahead it don't matter God knows your heart or do you think that would be going too far because the Bible does call for some hard decisions sometimes Jesus said, we've got to take up a cross and follow him. And he says, you cannot serve two masters. Amen. What, we have the, 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 the table of the Lord and the table of devils. You know, we can't eat from both altars. That would be a hard thing to have to deal with. But somewhere you've got to draw a line, right? And say, so as a child of God, we're forbidden from participating in, in forms of idolatry. So... Just say, oh, don't worry about it. That God knows their heart. They don't really want to be there. They're just going there for their family. I think that would be crossing a line, don't you? As hard as it would be for that person, it would still be crossing a line. So that is moral relativity. So let's talk about us now. We have to be careful that as we reach out for souls, we don't dumb down the gospel 
to the point that it's no longer recognizable as the gospel. Does this make any sense for anybody tonight? I told you that this is to provoke your thinking. Amen. It's to help us to think. Praise the Lord. So never be upset when you hear a pastor preaching. Well, he's already preached that before. Hey, preach it again, brother. Amen. Hey, don't ever get upset. Well, he talked about holiness last week. Don't get upset. Oh, he talked about this last week. Or he preached, doc. hey, thank God for it. Amen. Hold on to it. Let's not go farther away from it. Let's get closer and closer to the word of God. Can somebody say Amen. How far have we come? How far have we come? In attempting to reach the unchurched in a secular society, we must not, as I already mentioned, dumb down the gospel until it is no longer recognizable. Like a person from France trying to speak to a Cajun in Louisiana and not even be able to communicate or barely able to communicate. Why? Because things changed over the years. Let's not dumb down the gospel. Brother Joel Urshan tweeted, Don't dismiss as old school what God calls an old landmark. Praise the Lord. The old landmarks are not good because they're old. They're good because they're right when they're founded on the word of God. Praise the Lord. It's the old paths. Amen. Let me ask you a question. How many of you know about the duck test? Anybody know about the duck test? You probably do. You probably do, but like me, you probably just never heard it called that before. Yeah. <laughs> but you're right. The duck test is a form of abductive reasoning. I like that. Okay. Excuse me. <laughs> duck test, abductive reasoning. I get it. Okay. Kind of like duct tape. Okay. Uh, it is a form of abductive reasoning where you make a probable conclusion. Stay with me now. We're going to get back to the word of the Lord in just a little bit. But it's where you make a probable conclusion from what you know. And it's a usual expression is something like this. If it looks like a duck, if it swims like a duck, if it quacks like a duck, then it probably is a duck. So you have heard of the duck test. The test implies that a person can identify an unknown object or subject by observing that this is Wikipedia, which is not always the best source to use, but this, listen, by observing that subject's habitual characteristics. Okay? So my question for you, can we as Christians, I'm not, I'm not here pointing the finger. I'm provoking thought. Amen. I'm helping us to think. Amen. And I'm including myself in this. Can we as Christians pass the duck test? Do our habitual characteristics identify us as children of God or just Christians? And I use the quotes, Christians, very loosely. Can we pass the duck test? Can we be identified as Christians by Bible-believing, apostolic Christians by our habitual characteristics? You see, we rejoice over the, the message of one God, and we better hold on to that like never before. And we rejoice in, over the message of the new birth. Repent. You've got to be baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost, and we need to hold on to that with everything we have. Hallelujah. But also, we need to hold on to the teachings concerning our lifestyle. Amen. And we need to make sure that our habitual characteristics identify us as children of God. On the other hand, could people identify us with the world by our habitual characteristics? For example, if it looks like the world, walks like the world, talks like the world, it's probably the world. Amen. And please bear with me just a moment, but let me go a little farther. If it acts like the world, well, I believe in one God. Thank God. Better keep believing that. I believe in the new birth. Thank God. But it also, this whole thing affects our lifestyle. Amen. Praise the Lord, everybody. 
I think I started preaching about 7.40, so that means I've been going about 35 minutes. I won't count those three or five minutes that I'm just telling you about my wife and grandbaby, okay? We won't count that. <laughs> and I know there's probably school tomorrow and work tomorrow, but in the name of Jesus, let me deliver what I feel. When Brother Motes called me today, this is the only thing that came to my mind. I didn't have, I didn't have three days to, you know, kind of pray and seek the Lord, but I, this is what came to mind. And so this is what I'm going to do. Hallelujah. I'm not pointing a finger at you. I'm trying to say, let's all consider. Amen. Let's consider how far have we come and what, in which direction are we going. Someone said, Direction is more important than position. Because if you're going the wrong way, the farther you go, the farther you get away from truth. Amen. There may be other people that are maybe not reached fullness of truth yet, but they're headed in a right direction. And if they keep going, they will get to truth. Hallelujah. So direction is very important. Let me ask some more questions. Uh, If it... Or make another statement, rather. If it acts like the world, if it dresses like the world, if it loves what the world loves, if it enjoys the sinful entertainment the world enjoys, if it it loves the movies the world loves, and it listens to the music the world listens to, if it goes to the ungodly places the world goes to, if it cheers for the same teams the world cheers for, if it enjoys all the sinful pleasures of the world, then it probably is the world. Amen? Does that make any sense? And this is not original to me. I maybe just tweaked it a little bit. But if you or I were put on trial for being a Bible-believing, apostolic, Pentecostal Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict us? Do our habitual habits, well, that's the redundancy, habitual characteristics, that's what I was looking for. Do our habitual characteristics identify us as the world or as a Christian? Amen. So some some scriptures now. Jude chapter 1 verse 3. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation. Thank God there's a common salvation. There's one gospel for everybody. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The common salvation. It was needful for me to write unto you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered to the saints. Earnestly contend. Once. And the idea is once and for all. Amen. It was once and for all delivered to the saints. We've got to get close as we can to that original. The farther you get away from it. Amen. And start changing and tweaking a little here and a little there, you ever start down the slippery slope of changing the doctrine, then you're going the wrong way. But oh, one thing leads to another. Amen. One thing leads to another. One change leads to another until eventually you can get to a generation that can no longer speak the same language. What language are we speaking? Hallelujah. Oh, let's don't get farther away. Let's get closer to hold on to it like never before. Hallelujah. He said, earnestly contend. That means to struggle for. And sometimes it will be a struggle because you'll feel pressure from family and friends. Well, everybody's doing it. (laughs) No, everybody's not doing it. Amen. How many of you kids have tried that on your parents and it didn't get very far? Yeah. Praise the Lord. So earnestly contend for the faith. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 1. Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. I can picture somebody with their hands full. Oh, oh yeah, give me some of that. Oh, yeah, yeah. God, I'm holding, don't, don't worry, I'm holding on. And Oh, yeah, give me some of that. And, and Whoops. Well, I dropped that, but I'll just. What happened? We can fill our hearts and our minds and our lives with so much junk that we can let God slip. Oh, we don't want to do that. Amen. He said, you've got to earnestly con- uh, take earnest heed to what you've heard. The idea of slip here in the original language, and again, I'm not so smart, but I do have a, a Bible program with, you know, uh, Strong's Concordance on it. And here is what it gives the idea. Um, 
for slip. It means to flow or to run as water, to flow by. Or it can also mean to carelessly pass or miss or to run out, another source says, as a leaking vessel. Like putting water in a bucket with a hole in it. And it's dribbling out the whole time. And you get there, whoops. What happened? You let it slip or it dribbled out. It leaked out. But oh no, we've got to hold on to the truth like never before. Hallelujah. Anybody with me tonight? We're not interested in going away from. We're interested in going to. The God's word version of that verse says, For this reason we must pay closer attention to what we have heard. Then we won't drift away from the truth. Praise the Lord. Everybody say amen. amen if you believe it. Hallelujah, I'm among people that love the truth and love the Word of God. I know that, but I just want to remind you tonight, stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. Amen. What you've heard, what's been taught, amen, what you've got over the years, hold on to it. Hallelujah. It don't matter what YouTube says. It don't matter what the social media influencers say. It doesn't matter what government says. It doesn't matter what this department or that department says. What does God's Word say? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let me see if I can bring this to a close. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Listen to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 10 through 12. And this is, I believe, where we're living. We're living in the fulfillment of this. 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 10. And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish. Because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. That they all might be damned who believe not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. That's hard. Wait, what do you mean? The way I understand this, if you, you, you have the ability to tell God no. Right now, every knee is going to bow, every tongue is going to confess. Brother, Brother Raymond Woodward from Canada, great preacher, teacher, I heard him say before, there are times that the Holy Ghost will whisper, no. No. Maybe something, something you were going to do or direction or maybe something you were going to watch or maybe something you were going to get involved in. It's like the Holy Ghost says, no. And you have the power, the ability to override that. No. But the problem with that is the first time may be harder, but then it can get easier and easier until a person, and I, I, I don't, I'm not saying anybody here has done that, but a person can get to the point to where they sear their conscience and they're no longer sensitive. And here it talks about the fact that those that did not receive a love for the truth, it said God shall send them strong delusion. What do you mean? God would send delusion? I believe it's like this. I, if I tell God, no, 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 and I reject, reject, re eventually there'll come a time he'll let me go my own way. And then there's no more hope because I've rejected the only hope. If you reject him, there's no other hope. Amen. But what is the antidote for that? Turn it around. Love the truth. Instead of evolving, I told you I believe in evolution, and it happens in the wrong direction. Instead of evolving away, away, away from, let's say, let me see how close I can get to God. Right. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. How far have we come? Well, let me not just say, let's look out there. He's talking about this, and he's talking about, no, let's turn it inward. Let's all make it personal, okay? Yes. Not, this is not for everybody here tonight. It's for you. You understand what I'm saying? It's for me. So let's don't say, well, I know he's talking about this group, or he's talking about them, they left the truth, or he's talking. No, I'm talking to all of us now as individuals. Let's turn the spotlight inward. Lord, how far have I come? Amen. Amen. Lord, have I slacked up on some things that I should be holding? Or have I started picking up things that I was convicted of at one time, and you could... You forgave me, and I ask you to forgive me, but I've gone back and started picking them up again. Amen. You see what I'm saying? It can go so subtly, just like those changes in the language that happens gradually over a period of time. Am I holding on to anything 
that I once repented of and laid down. I, I told you I just want to provoke your thinking tonight. And let's just do a little spiritual checkup. Because you see, in Matthew, Jesus said, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. If you'll stand with me, that will remind me that I am supposed to be closing. Not everyone that says, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. And some of this is hard to understand, but he said many of them will say in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? We preached in your name, in your name, cast out devils in your name, done many wonderful works. But I will profess unto them, depart from me. I never knew you, you that work iniquity. Wait a minute. Is it possible to see miracles in Jesus' name and, and yet not be right with God? You see, a miracle does not determine your standing with God. It, determine, it shows you have faith in the word of God. But that doesn't always equate to obedience. But he said, I'll profess to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken them, him unto a wise man who, which built his house upon a rock. <laughs> We're not interested in just miracles for the sake of miracles. Oh, we want to see miracles. Amen. We believe our God is a miracle working God. But you can have a miracle and be in false doctrine. Hallelujah. You can see the dead raised and be lost when it comes to judgment day. But oh, what do we do? How do we make sure? Get the word of God. Build your house upon the rock. He said, the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew, beat upon that house. And it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. So here is the, here's the application. Because the message is not much good unless it's applied. Here's closing application. Get as close to original Christianity as you can. Not just in the doctrines of oneness of God and new birth, but also in lifestyle. Get as close as you can. Amen. Don't evolve away from. But get as close as you can. And hold on to it. And Jesus said, the rain descended. Hey, the rain's falling. The flood came. The flood is rising. Hallelujah. And it, the wind's blowing. Amen. And it's beating upon the house. But the house is not going to fall when it's founded upon the word of God. So I challenge you tonight, take this personally. And just over the next few days, you think about it, just pray about it. And just let God speak to you. Uh, you, you make the application in your own life. And just say, God, I want to get as close as I can. Can we lift our hands and worship him together right now? Hallelujah, hallelujah. We worship you, Lord God. Can we just lift our hands and, and just ask, Lord God, help me, Lord, in the next few days to, to really apply this word to my life, Lord God. I don't want to drift away. I don't want to let slip, but I want to get as close as I can to you, Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. We're not interested in changing away from. We want to get closer to you, Lord, in the name of Jesus.